From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to the seventh season premiere of Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Right about now, you're probably hearing a rumbling in your stomach, which can only mean one thing. You're hungry for college football. Luckily for you, it's almost time for the 2021 kickoff, a season we all hope much more resembles what we would call a normal year as opposed to the 2020 campaign. On today's show, we'll fully set the table for the feast to come, starting with the wide-ranging discussion about the storylines and expectations surrounding this season with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry. Then, we'll chat with one of the leaders of the defense, who also happens to be one of the most dangerous threats off the edge in the SEC, redshirt senior defensive end Zach Carter. To get us underway, it's time for the Gator Roundtable presented by Pet Paradise. Are you the kind of fan that loves your team as much as your pet? Bring your pets to play where pet lovers and sports fans collide. Pet Paradise, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. Um, Guys, there's so much football to talk about. And I guess for starters, um, what are your overall thoughts about kind of the the state of the Gators entering this season? If you had to give the, the State of the Union address, where would that start as we prepare for kickoff? I think you start with some uncertainty. Uh, that's to me what I think of this team. I, I see it's kind of a, a mystery team, maybe more than the others under Dan Mullen. I mean, he's in his fourth year. Uh, they're 29 and nine in his first three. So, they, I mean, he's, he's really turned around the program uh, in a big way since he came back to Florida. Uh, but you're looking going into this season and they finished last season with those three straight losses, which kind of soured. Uh, what had been a really good season, a fun season, despite the pandemic, you know, the offense was rolling. So you go into this year, you got a new quarterback, Emory Jones. Uh, You've got a lot of new faces on defense. Uh, The defense, as we all know, was not exactly uh, stopping people all over the field last year. I mean, they set some historically bad numbers uh, last year for a Florida defense. So there's some answers that they're going to have to find right away on that side of the ball. And we're back to talking about defense, I think, a little more than offense going into the season. You know, last year, the storyline around this team was Kyle Trask, Kyle Pitts, and just the explosive offense, averaging, what, 378 yards passing a game. I think, uh, you know, 43 touchdowns, school record for uh, Trask, one of the Heisman finalists. Uh, And the defense, when we talked about them, it was usually – all right, the Gators, luckily the Gators offense pulled them out again. You know, they, they scored 40 and they only gave up 30, so good day for the Gators. Well, this year it's going to look different. So um, I think, Adam, it's just a transition year for Florida. A transition year doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a bad year. It's just it's going to be a, a transition from what type of offense we, we've seen the last couple of years. It's going to be – Definitely more balanced than it was with Kyle Trask as quarterback because of the skill set of Emory Jones. Uh, it's going to be a defense that I think, you know, I don't think Todd Grantham is going to do anything different, you know, massively in his scheme, but it's just going to be like, you know, you got Kyrie Elam at one quarterback and all, all fall camp, you know, okay, Jaden Hill's the guy that's going to be there, right? Well, he gets hurt the first week of camp, and then it adds some uncertainty there. Linebacker, you know, Ventrell Miller's there, but who's going to be those really big linebackers on the outside who make the big plays? Is Diabati ready? Brenton Cox Jr., is he finally going to fulfill his potential? Uh, is Jeremiah Moon, can he give anything to this team in his sixth year? They like his talent, but, you know, we've talked about him before. He just never is able to stay on the field. And, of course, up front, you got a lot of new faces who have joined the program for a, really a one-year run. How much are those guys going to bring, like Daquan Newkirk and Anthony Valentino? I mean, are they going to be big-time impact players? Are they going to be guys that next year when we're talking about, you know, we'll, we'll barely remember them. So, obviously, we know what Dan Mullen and Todd Grantham so, hopes they do. So, just a lot of a lot of uncertainty, but I, I like the talent, and I think I think they could surprise if, if some of the guys uh, come through on the field. 
you mentioned the quarterbacks. We always talk about quarterbacks on this podcast, though I would imagine most schools talk about quarterbacks. It is increasingly the most important position on the field. Florida actually had a lot of stability at that spot a year ago at a Heisman Trophy finalist. Now, a lot of talent and a lot of potential, but back to those question marks of not quite knowing what you're going to get. And obviously, that starts with with Emory Jones, who has waited his turn. He has done what so many others failed to do. Now, it is time to see if that pays off for him and, and for Dan Mullen. Yeah, you mentioned the word stability. I mean, that stability extends all the way back to the year before when uh, Kyle Trash took over for Felipe Franks on the field up in Kentucky. I believe it was the second or third game of the season. So you know, two years of very, very high level quarterback play. Um, and you just knew what you were going to get from the guy every week. Um, all right. Along the way, though, uh, we've seen cameo appearances, excuse me, from from Emory Jones. Can you come up with a really bad play Emory Jones made in his in his brief, uh, you know, in, in, in the reps that he got? Uh, maybe there was a play against Ole Miss last year. I think there was an interception, but I think his numbers were I think he completed 64 percent of his passes um, in those in the in the times that he's been in the game. Seven touchdowns, one interception. He ran the ball for 514 yards and six touchdowns um, where he really gets credit, Adam. I mean, in this day and age. In, in this uh, landscape of college football, a uh, player of his, um, with his stripes, of his credentials, uh, with his resume coming out of high school, he would have left. He, would, yeah. he, he, he probably would not have stayed around to let Kyle Trask uh, throw for a million yards the last couple of years and just stand there and be the good soldier. But he did that. And, you know, because he did that and because he's done everything he's been asked to do, um, he deserves this chance. Uh, he'll be stepping in there to be the the starting quarterback for Florida against Florida Atlantic. Um, he's obviously going to be a, a a different version of a quarterback for Dan Mullen, but that's okay. Dan Mullen's had different kind of quarterbacks along the way. This is a quarterback who's not going to sit in the pocket like Kyle Trask uh, when he's uh, in jeopardy. He's not going to just try to fall forward for three or four yards to uh, avoid a negative play. He's going to be aggressive and run and try to get and make a and make something out not just something out of nothing but uh, a a big play out of nothing he's capable of taking off and gaining you know eight ten fifteen fifty yards uh and and to that same point um so is anthony richardson um gator fans saw him for two passes in the cotton bowl uh one i believe was a 27 yard touchdown pass uh so this guy i mean so this is the new look that the gators are going to see this year from the quarterback position um they're not going to lead the nation in passing this year. Uh, with this element of a running quarterback, you should have a more balanced offense just by osmosis. I think uh, Florida was, I believe, what were they in the in the country last year in running? I mean, I, I, I want to say they were tore, they were definitely toward the bottom of the of the SEC in running. I believe it was ninety six at one hundred thirty one yards a game. I don't think that's going to be the case this year. Just from the productivity they're going to get the quarterback position. And then now when you start talking about running the ball, whether it's the quarterback or the running backs, now you start getting into who's going to be the horse in the backfield. Now Gators have five guys who could potentially be, if they, if they, if they needed them could be featured running backs. And the first guy's going to get the crack is Damian Pierce. I mean, he's, he deserves it. He's, he's the senior. Uh, he's got uh, over 1200 yards, 10 touchdowns. He's averaged, I think, um, well over five yards a carry for his career. Um, then come you got Malik Davis. Malik Davis is a guy who he's, he's a very good receiver out of the backfield. He's a guy who's had to battle some injuries, and certainly he had to battle some adversity last year. Some of it unfair with the uh, with the what the fans did to him on Twitter after the fumble in the Texas A&M game, which obviously cost the Gators dearly. Naquan Wright, uh, another good receiver, uh, kind of broke out last year. Uh, in his cameo roles, but the people, but the runners, everyone is talking about, of course, are the two five-star transfers, Lorenzo Lingard from Miami. They made that six carries last year, maybe five carries last year. Didn't play very much. And Demarcus Bowman, the kid from Lakeland uh, uh, by way of Clemson. Uh, Scott and I went to a couple scrimmages this year. This guy, these guys made some plays in scrimmages and they made not just a, a, a nice little eight, seven, eight yard runs. They made some long runs. So how this is all going to play out, who, the, who are those guys that are going to step forward? Uh, that's, that's a lot of running backs. And some guys are going to be disappointed. It's kind of like when you talk about uh, basketball players and their minutes. 
which we'll have that conversation, by the way, in a few months, I imagine. There's not going to be enough carries for these guys. So they're going to, some of these guys are going to have to be Emory Jones and be the good soldier and be happy with their, with their roles. But if the Gators get it going a little bit with the running game uh, and maybe all of these guys can kind of um, um, feed off each other and get their chances and get in the game, that's, that's, that's not, I don't know if that's ideal, but it can be done. Uh, but that's one of the questions going into not just the Florida Atlantic game, but USF next weekend on the road. Of course, the SEC opening against Alabama two weeks down the line. Those are all things that, uh, that, that Gator fans are going to be interested to see develop over the next few weeks. I mean, and you mentioned some of the, the big storylines there, Chris, obviously relate to the offense. And they're the most obvious ones, right? What's the offense going to look like? How do you replace Kyle Pitts? who takes over the dynamic playmaking that Kadarius Tony brought you. Those are the obvious ones. I'm curious, for, from your standpoint, both you guys, as, as deeply as you have to look into this team and kind of analyze them, um, what are some of the storylines that you think are important that maybe have not gotten as much discussion in the Twitter sphere, the fanverse, if you will? Well, uh, you know, special teams are an easy one to always point out because they don't get a lot of uh, attention. Uh, and, you know, the first time, I think, since the Civil War that the Gators don't have a punter named Townsend. So you're talking about <laughs> a long time. So, you know, you're looking at, what, Jeremy Crosshaw from Australia. And, you know, he came in as a, uh, a talented recruit. Uh, so they have high expectations for him. You don't bring a punter all the way from uh, Australia unless you really think he can do something. And we all know the the trend in college football the last decade, we've seen a lot of these guys come over and play well. But um, so, yeah, and then the, the kicking game, I mean, again, you look at the place kicking and Florida has had what uh, Evan McPherson and Eddie Pinedo, the last two starting kickers here. I think they're like one or two or second, and third all time in school accuracy. So, and they also have big legs. So, and before then, you had Caleb Sturgis and Chaz Henry. So Florida has really been on a, a good run with kickers. And now you're looking at, okay, who's going to take that job with McPherson leaving for the NFL? Jace Crispin, a, a fifth-year graduate student who Dan Mullen had at Mississippi State, lost his job out there when Mike Leach came in uh, at Mississippi State. And he was looking for an opportunity for his final year of eligibility. He rejoins Mullen, and he's competing with uh, – Chris Howard, a guy who we've seen in little spurts at Florida, but mostly just in blowouts or uh, late late game situations. So uh, there's going to be a, a new kicker and a punter, and then the return game. You know, Kadarius Tony had evolved into a key uh, performer in that role the last few years, and you know this year, Jamarcus Weston is a guy they've looked at. I mean, they got Kyrie Elam was back taking some punts with first team. Uh, you've got Jacob Copeland, who's going to get an opportunity uh, in the return game. Um, so that's a lot of unknowns. You know, we're talking about unknowns. Basically, you wipe away all your starters and special teams, and it's a clean slate. So that's that's one area that I'm looking at. If I can ch- I don't think this is an under-the-radar thing because you, you pseudo-referenced it before, Adam, but, I mean – you do lose uh, Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Tony. Mm-hmm. So we talked about the quarterbacks, and there's going to be, and everyone's just talking about quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. Who? Right. And and when 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 Emory Jones or Anthony Richardson don't take off and run, they got to throw the ball to somebody. And so those the the, the two targets, and these guys were. Those guys are really really productive players. As obviously the NFL draft, uh, uh, you know played out or, or, or showed out, if you will. But um, Scott mentioned Jacob Copeland in the return game. You mentioned Jamarcus Weston in the return game. And um, those guys are going to have to be uh, uh, really good uh, players on the on the edge that guys that, are, that Emory Jones is going to be throwing to. Um, Justin Shorter was a guy who was a five-star receiver uh, who transferred from Penn State last year, and he made a couple big plays last year. Um, could he possibly be a, a, a Trayvon Grimes type this year? Xavier Henderson is a guy who I think is going to be a star here. I don't know if it'll happen this season, but he's a guy who I think is going to uh, develop, whether it's with Emory Jones or with Anthony Richardson down the line. But, uh, uh, I mean, he's got a lot of athleticism on the edge, big play kind of potential. And and we saw a little bits and pieces of Trent Whittemore last year, the local kid who made good here. Um, uh, those are candidates for, for, for wide receiver position who um, – and Scott, of course, mentioned uh, – uh, like, to go back to Jamarcus Weston, he made a couple of big plays – 
um, uh, in the passing game in some of the, in some of these uh, live scrimmages in the swamp in the preseason. So there, there are some players who are going to have to be, who are the players are going to be every day, every Saturday names getting called. Those, those are some of them. And of course uh, there'll be others that, you know, I didn't mention that, that nobody's even talking about right now. Mm-hmm. You're talking to fans throughout the off season. One thing that I heard most consistently, I'm sure you guys did as well, is just questions about the defense. Obviously last year was a, a very rough year for the defense. There were a lot of questions about Todd Grantham moving forward. Uh, and ultimately, you know, it's it's a lot of new pieces as well. He had to replace a lot of people there. So what are your expectations for what this defense will look like? And, and if it's going to be much better, how will it be better? What will make it a better defense in 2021 than it was in 2020? Well, I think they've got to cut down on the big plays they gave up. I mean, that was a huge weakness last year. You know, there was a lot of discussion about some communication breakdowns in the secondary uh, to cause that. And then after the season, you saw they made some coaching changes there with uh, Jules Montaner coming in from USF to coach uh, cornerbacks and then veteran Wesley McGriff coming in uh, to coach safeties. And they also, you know, they've got a lot of new players. I mean, they recruited heavily there. Jason Marshall Jr. I thought was one of the best true freshmen to come in and the way he looked in camp. Uh, he's going to play on Saturday. He's going to play throughout the year. Uh, Avery Helm, uh, he was a top depth chart at the position opposite Elam at cornerback. He's another very talented guy who didn't play last year until the Cotton Bowl and only played briefly then. But uh, for him to, uh, you know, get the coach's vote of support and go atop the depth chart there, he's doing something right. And then you got some newcomers, Jadarius Perkins and Elijah Blades, both who have uh, experience but not in the Florida system. I think they're still learning on the fly. Transfer guys, uh, Perkins has a couple of years of eligibility. Blades only one. Uh, so when you ask what's it got to look like, I mean, I, I'm going to start with you got to cut down the big plays. Uh, you got to get more pressure up front, especially in the middle of the line. Rush that to get that quarterback on passing plays, get him on the edge where your edge rushers can be right there and try to make some plays on the outside because they really like what they have on the edge. Grantham was talking about this the other night after practice. And, you know, with Brent Cox Jr. and Zachary Carter. Jeremiah Moon, some of those names we mentioned earlier, the talents there on the edge for some playmakers to uh, shine. Uh, Muhammad Dibati, I think he's going to be a very, very versatile guy in this defense. He's playing everything from star to linebacker to the edge. So, uh, but you got to get you got to get those big guys, those big guys who don't necessarily jump out to fans on every play because they're doing so much of that dirty work in the middle. You have to get those guys to kind of cause some disruption and make some things happen for your playmakers. I think that was an area that Florida lacked in last year, uh, just consistently. And now they're hoping Daquan Newkirk and Anthony Valentino, as we mentioned earlier, uh, the new guy they just brought in, Tyrone Truesdale, who joined the program this week. Uh, Grantham was asked the other night if it reminds him of his NFL days, you know, getting a guy this late right before the season, picked him off the waiver wire, <laughs> throw him right in. And he said, yeah, Truesdale's going to play. He's a, he's a veteran guy from Auburn who's got a lot of SEC experience. Uh, they're expecting him to get out on Saturday night and contribute right away. So he's not a, he's not in a uh, sign-and-hold period. Um, so a lot, of, a lot of moving parts there. But uh, to me, they all add up to you have to consistently cut down those big plays that killed the Gators. Nothing will check the box of an unexpected late addition more than what South Carolina is doing, where someone they hired as a grad assistant coach is now their starting quarterback. So in case you're wondering if Will Muschamp left the cupboard bare in Columbia, the answer would appear to be yes. <laughs> I saw a tweet on that yesterday. Somebody said, one thing about Muschamp, when you fire him, he's going to leave the... He's going to leave you bad. He said, the guy was funny. He said he left Florida with five UPS deliverymen on the offensive line and left uh, South Carolina with this quarterback, but maybe a little unfair, but it made me laugh. <laughs> maybe call Bishop Sycamore and get some exactly. instant transfers. Get, That's get, right. some, get some players from there. Uh, that uh, may be the wildest story of the year, uh, the Bishop Sycamore story. If you don't know what we're talking about, just Google Bishop Sycamore and fall down that in incredible rabbit hole. Um, 
But anyway, staying on track here, staying on track. Yeah, I'm going to ask you guys a question that a coach would never be able to answer because there's too many things that would immediately flood in their mind. But I want to I'm going to make you guys Dan Mullen here for a second. I'm not going to pay you as much as he makes, but it, just be be in that mindset for a moment. If I'm Dan Mullen heading into this season, my biggest concern when I go to sleep is what? Keeping players happy. You got a very talented quarterback in Anthony Richardson. Does he have the same um, patience chip that Emory Jones showed? Uh, this is a guy again who could be somewhere and pl- probably playing now. He could probably uh, play at South Carolina tomorrow. He could certainly <laughs> play at South Carolina right now. He certainly could play at Bishop Sycamore. Um, uh, and, and and I go back to those running backs. Um, and again, uh, you know, coaches are, are are paid to do this. They're 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 paid to massage egos and and you know play the hot hand and 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 deal with this kind of stuff. But um, uh, when you, you would th- if, if you asked a, the normal fan, they probably think they would probably answer defense after last right. year, where the last two games they saw over 100 points scored um, on the Gators and a, a defensive finish 89th overall in the country and average more than 30 points a game. I mean, that's, that's not, that's not a recipe for winning. Um, uh, and, and again, I, we don't think the offense is going to be the kind of explosive offense like it was last year that was hanging 40 some points a game uh, every night. So uh, fans for the fans, that's probably keeping them awake. And I go and you talk to Dan Mullen and you ask about defense. Um, he's not biting on, on those same kind of concerns. I think in his, in his mind, that, uh, you know, he knows they have to be better, but I also think in his mind, he knows they are going to be better. And, you know, frankly, I don't know how they couldn't be any better than they were last year. So uh, I guess that's a, that's a convoluted kind of answer, but I don't have a, I don't really have a, a hard and fast one. I, I think Dan Mullen, actually, I think he sleeps pretty well at night, to be honest with you, by and large. Yeah. yeah I get the impression he does too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, if I'm him, and I know what the first month of the season's already going to look like. I really want to go out and get some young guys and figure out some of, solidify some of those spots in the games against FAU and USF, and obviously get wins most importantly. So when you do have Alabama coming in here, uh, we you know Mullins had some big opportunities at Florida, none more than that last year when they finally got over to hump and beat Georgia. And that was a big step in his in his tenure here. But I think I would want to go into that Alabama game feeling that I really had a great chance to win that ball game with what I have on my 2020 team. And I think, you know, the way you do that is you go out and take care of business these first two games and then hope for the best and hope that you play the best uh, when the Crimson Tide comes down. Yeah, and and you, you're going you're gonna to hear – Everyone talk about well, we're worried about Florida Atlantic. We're worried about USF. No, um, no. I mean you you can't you can't have Alabama as your SEC opener in this game two weeks down the line without somebody in the building, uh, more than one somebody, by the way, uh, doing work on that. And you know they're absolutely doing that. They're just not, they're not talking about it, but there is work going on like that. Just like there is from 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 Nick Saban's standpoint, uh, they're working on Florida too right now. So um, somebody is. It's moments like this where you, you try to negotiate. Like, what, can we get Tennessee back as the SEC opener? Is that something we can talk about? Alabama as an SEC opener is that is that's going to be something else. But we're not there yet. We we won't talk about that yet. We're not there yet. We got to stay on track here. In terms of returners, we talked about some guys who unfortunately are not returning. Um, who are some of the most improved returners in your mind? Which players maybe haven't had the kind of careers or the seasons yet? that they thought they would or people expect them to outside the program that you think are going to have a year to remember in 2021? Well, I mean, the guy who tops the list for me on offense is, you know, still Jacob Copeland. I think he's been a nice receiver for Florida. He's certainly not been a star receiver. And he hasn't had to be a star receiver because they've been so deep at that position. But I think uh, – uh, he, he might not need to be the star guy this year. There's there's some other candidates, but he's going to have to do better, you know, 20, 25 catches and a couple of touchdowns, I think. I think they, they need him to be a consistent playmaker uh, on those big plays and big downs. You know, third and eight, you, you need him to be the guy. You know you can go out there and 
get open nine yards down the field, not cut it in that six and, you know, come up a couple of shorts. So he, he's got, that's an obvious answer, but the obvious answer on defense is Britton Cox Jr. Uh, we heard a lot about this guy before he got to Florida. Uh, we heard a lot about him since he's been here. Uh, he had to sit out that year, then got on the field last year. You know, you could tell he's a physically gifted player. I'm just, I think everybody's still waiting for that consistent production. And, you know, he had a, a foot injury off season, has some surgery, came into camp, kind of slowed, but I think he's getting the full speed and uh, they're expecting a big season out of him. I think he's the one guy on that defense. If he plays to his full capability, him and Elam, I think can be the, the two stars on that side of the ball. But I think Elam uh, is a lot closer to that level than we've seen from Cox so far, clearly. And there's other guys like Zachary Carter and Ventra Miller who are, are kind of star makers on that side or stars on that side. But I think Cox has a lot of unfulfilled potential on the table. I'm not mistaken. The first uh, media opportunity of the season for the regular media, they, they trotted out some guys who were raving about Jervon Dexter and the progress that he'd made at six, six, six 303 pound kid from Lake Wales, um, you know, debuted last year against Ole Miss as a, as, as a, as a redshirt freshman, I believe. And, uh, they were saying this guy has a chance to, to make a, a, a serious step forward. And if, again, uh, uh, Scott mentioned the interior line has to carry its weight this year, but maybe that w- somewhere which would have been considered a, a, a weakness last year. That's why you go out and you, and you get three transfers in Antonio Valentino from Penn state. And you get the two guys from Daquan Newkirk, or one of them you get three days ago from Auburn, uh, uh, term- uh Tyrone Tr- Truesdale. So, uh, if, if you throw uh, Jervon Dexter in there and in, in that mixed and, and you, you get production and you start walling up and you start getting some pressure up the middle, uh, that's going to help a defense that, um, despite the at times, uh, uh, eye gouging numbers last year, this team led the league in sacks and tackles for loss. If you can believe hmm. that. Um, that says that tells you some things that were going along on the edge. Now they have to maybe share the wealth a little bit and start getting some production from those middle guys. Jervon Dexter, if you listen to the his teammates and his coaches, uh, is a guy who may be able to join that fray this year. So I think that that effectively covers returners who are potentially making a jump. Uh, the flip side of that, newcomers. This could be freshmen. It could be we've talked about some transfers. Uh, which, if there's one player that's new to the program or going to be new to the field that you have your eye on, who is that player and why? Well, I don't know if he's going to see the field, Adam, but this is easy for me. It's the freshman defensive lineman, Desmond Watson. The reason he's always in my eye because he, he, he fills up my eye. You know, he's <laughs> what is he? Uh, four, he came in 432 pounds. Uh, they said he slimmed down to about 400. Uh, you know, it looks maybe like he's trimmed down somebody. He's a guy that at this stage of his career, I don't know how much we're going to see him this year, but if he can get into shape and he, he moves really well for his size. I mean, you're talking about a guy 6'5", 400 pounds officially on the roster as we speak. And, you know, you look at him and he, I mean, he doesn't really look 400 pounds per se, uh, but he's a lot of man, a lot of big, just a huge human being. So he's the kind of guy who, in the SEC in this day and age, if, if he can become serviceable and that talking about that middle of the line, what a boost that could give the Gators, not only this year, but just the next couple of years, because he could be a huge difference maker that I don't know that they've ever had a guy six, five, 400 who can move like that. So uh, if he, if he turns out to be a, a player, what a, what watch a out! Yeah, what, watch <laughs> out! What a story! I mean, so I mean, he does intrigue me. Every time I'm out of practice, I kind of find my way watching him because it's just so interesting to see such a big human being out there on the field. Almost sounds like Terrence Cody in a way. Remember Terrence Cody yeah. at Alabama? Yeah, like a little he would bit. Just blow up the middle of the line. He's the his uh, one one of his fingers is the only thing that kept Lane Kiffin from beating Alabama when he was at Tennessee. That's right. But you're, that's a really a good comparison. That's kind of who I think of too. Uh, and that, that guy was a great player. I mean, I know they won a national championship or yeah. two with him there. 
Mount Cody, right? Didn't they call him Mount Cody? Mount I think Cody. that was his nickname. Yeah, yes. he, he was he was a mountain. He was a mountain. Um, that would be intriguing to see him on the field, but as you said, it's more speculative. Um, so I guess if I could take it a step further, newcomer who you think will make the biggest impact on the field. Early going, I'm I'm going to still stick with Chase Marshall Jr., the cornerback. Uh, I mentioned him earlier, but Davies from Miami. Uh, him and his teammate from high school, Corey Carrier Jr., both signed with the Gators, both defensive backs. I think Jason Marshall Jr. was a five-star in high school, one of the few the Gators have on the roster. and uh, He's been out there on the field consistently all through preseason camp, uh, playing at that cornerback position opposite Kyrie Elam after Jaden Hill went down. And I think uh, Marshall was probably going to get on the field even before Hill went down in some capacity. So, I think this guy has playmaking ability. Uh, he he definitely is aggressive on the ball. Uh, he's physical. Uh, I just remember, Adam, when they signed him uh, earlier this year, I remember seeing an image of him at his high school signing and tweeted because he's sitting there signing his papers, and I just remember his arm was up on the table. The guy, he was did not look like he was built like an 18-year-old high school kid. He, he, he definitely is physically mature, and I think uh, the Gators have seen that firsthand since he's on campus. Honestly, I don't, I don't know if he's going to play a bunch, but uh, people have talked about, and he's shown up in a scrimmage or two, and that's a, a true freshman tight end who was an early enrollee by the name of uh, uh, Nick Elksness from, uh, from Jacksonville Episcopal. Um, 6'6", 243, big target. Uh, now, uh, obviously, that tight end position is is something that, you know, the Gators will be looking to fill, whether it's with a Kamori Gamble or with a Keon Zipperer. But uh, Elks, Elksness is a guy who is is somebody who is not to be discounted and uh, an under-the-radar kind of freshman who, who may just show up. He may be a guy who shows up in – in, uh, in a game like Florida Atlantic and you never see him again, uh, certainly not, not for the rest of the season, depending on how everything shakes out, or he may be a guy who announces himself in a game like that, or maybe at USF or something like that. And we, and we see what comes of him. Good picks there. I think we've, we've covered it from all angles, which means it's time for our first PAT of the season. Uh, and really inspired by Scott, who is a, he's an animal lover. He's a pet lover. And he wanted to fully lean in. Dog lover. Dog lover specifically. Chris is a cat. Chris, are you a cat man? Is that a thing? I'm married into a cat family, but I, Mary, I, lo- I, I love dogs. I know Scott. Scott can't stand cats, which is funny. <laughs> well, we Scott only Gar- cats. Only Garfield. We do get occasional cameo appearances on on this Zoom from Chris's cat Henry, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and Scott generally doesn't recoil at the sight of him. So mm-hmm. I guess Scott is not completely averse to cats though more of a dog person. I am a dog person as well, uh, though I am also marrying into a cat family, similar to you, Chris. Uh, But Scott wanted to fully embrace the new Gator Roundtable presented by Pet Paradise with our best pet story. And I've got a pretty harrowing one. Do you guys want to hear mine? And that'll let you know uh, where the bar is for yours. Sure, Adam. Go ahead. I was thinking best pet story. So back in the late 90s, we had pet hamsters, right? I don't know. Do people still have hamsters? Are those still a thing or no? Still a thing, yep. It is still a thing. Okay, for kids especially. And so we had two hamsters, and our thought was, let's let the hamsters play together, right? What could possibly go wrong? So we took them out. We put them, in this, we put them on the floor, and they started clawing each other to death, Okay. <laughs> So me, in my infinite wisdom, as a, I don't know, I was probably like nine or ten years old, I said, I'm going to break this up, and I'm going to do it by sticking my hand in between the two of them, which did not go well. They ripped my finger open, and then I was bleeding everywhere. They were still trying to kill each other, and I was running all around the house with blood everywhere, uh, and my parents were out and about. They were very happy to receive that call on their old car phone. You guys remember car phones. Um, so at the end of the day... Both hamsters survived. My uncle, who was a vet, actually did surgery to save one of their eyes. That's a thing you can do, believe it or not. Uh, And I only ended up with this little scar on my finger from the day that I tried to pull two hamsters apart at the teeth. Uh, That was the last time we attempted to put hamsters together. 
and thus concludes my most interesting and harrowing pet story. That's yeah, it's a tough one. I, I have a one that certainly fits in the 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 fighting category uh, on Christmas Day, but I, I, it's not one of my favorites. It happened though, but I think. One of the, my favorites from when I was a kid, it's funny now when I look back on it, and luckily it didn't traumatize me from owning dogs because I, I do love dogs. We just got a, a new dog in the last uh, month or so uh, to start over after our last one passed away. But uh, So I, was, I must have been like eight or nine, and we didn't have a dog at the time. We'd had a poodle, and I, don't, I can't remember if my grandmother – I think my grandmother wanted it and took it back to Georgia with her. So we were like, okay, we'll get another dog. And so one Sunday afternoon, I remember my mom and dad, my brother and I, we lived in East Tennessee at this time. We drove over this mountain to this place uh, where my dad knew someone who lived over there from his work. And they, they had some, uh, a couple of St. Bernard's. And so, you know, we looked at the dogs and we picked out a big St. Bernard and, you know, St. Bernard's are pretty big dogs and, so anyway, we bring it all the way back to our house about 30 or 40 miles away and uh, get out of the car and, you know, hey, we got a new dog. Everybody's happy. And uh, we bring the dog to the backyard and start to play with. I don't even know if we named him yet, man. I still don't even I can't remember, but it's been so Very long. Early. But in, our, in the back of our house was just kind of a big open field and it just went back into the woods and mountains. So anyway. We're, we're home probably five, six minutes, and that St. Bernard just starts running, takes off. But dad starts chasing it. He can't catch up. <laughs> never never saw that St. Bernard again. <laughs> so, yeah, that's anyway. awful. <laughs> it was awful. God. So when you're, when you're eight or nine, that's like, man, he really did not want to join our family. And uh, I don't know whatever happened to him. We never heard from him again, never saw him. So wow. I'm, hope, I'm hoping that he went into the woods and found some kid or some good family who could, took care of him for the rest of his life. But that is this dog story that just always sticks out in my head. But I, and I've got good ones too, thankfully, but that's a funny one that I just, I like telling. Maybe he went on to star in the Beethoven movies. Maybe that was his ultimate. Favorite. Maybe I hope he had some future like that because I was excited to get him. And I think after him, we waited a little bit because, you know, we were disappointed <laughs> and we ended up getting a Dotson a little, that we named Fritz. That became really my my favorite dog of my youth, but uh, but it's so you know we 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 continue to love dogs even though that dog did not love us. So okay, we have a uh, we have a serious injury, we have abandonment. Chris, bring it home for us. How how can you top what we've put on the table so far? It was a I think it was a 1994. Some guy came to my door in our first house my wife and I owned and knocked on the door and some guy with an accent, like a, like an Eastern European accent. And he, and he goes, I have a Bonnie. I go, excuse me, sir. He goes, I have a Bonnie. Do you want a Bonnie? I go, I, I I'm sure I don't. He pulls out a small little uh, lop-eared hair out of this bag. He says, I have a Bonnie. Would you like to have a Bonnie? I go, I, you know, I, I don't think, and I look at this rabbit and this rabbit is, with the with the hair the ears down and everything the thing is it's just adorable it's looking at me with its nose and all this stuff and he leaves and leaves his car right a couple hours later i look at my wife i go let's get the bonnie so <laughs> and he call left his ad. i called the guy and i went and got the bonnie and this bonnie uh grew up in our house and he learned how to walk around our house but he would go outside and walk around in the back of the of the house he would go in running jigs and stuff like this well, one night after our daughter was born, babe, my uh, mother-in-law came and, and was staying and I hear her yelling and I run out and there's a raccoon Uh-oh. who's gotten the bunny in the back, the bunny. Oh. And we went out there and he got him by his head and lo and behold, my, I go out and it's not a pretty sight. So we're going back to what you're talking about. Um, I took my wife and I took this rabbit to an emergency uh, uh, animal clinic at, you know, 3.30 in the morning in Gainesville, I think it was out at Oaks, Oaks Emergency, um, out off Tower Road. And they took out, they said he's got to lose his eye. They took his eye out, sewed his eye shut. That rabbit lived two more years one, with one eye. 
Wow. Um, ha- ran, uh, this, we'd let him out and run when we, when we could watch him. Um, he had a little bunny hutch in the back, but, uh, the, I remember the, the vet looked at me and she goes, what do you want to do? And she told us how much it was going to cost to keep this rabbit around and what it would take to sew yeah. his eyes shut and everything. And I look at my wife, she goes, do it. We did it for the rabbit because it was a bonnie and he was a nice bonnie and he ran out the rest of his life on, uh, on, on sixth Avenue in Gainesville. So mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of, that's kind of my sympathetic, uh, 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 pet story. I know not really probably the ending Scott would have wanted. Um, <laughs> I was he, liked, really... he, he liked to run up to it much better. <laughs> I was rooting for the body the whole time. Man. You we were, were talking. You were? Yes. Okay. Three animal lovers here on this podcast. And, uh, it's a great way to bring our first Gator Roundtable presented by Pet Paradise to a close. Uh, but next week, we're going to have a lot more to talk about on the Roundtable because instead of the theoretical, what we will see in a game, we will actually talk about the game and see the Gators come on the field for the first time in the Swamp on Saturday night. So we look forward to doing that next week. In the meantime, make sure to follow these guys for all of your orange-blue coverage at Gators Scott, at Gators Chris, and of course, everything posted on FloridaGators.com. Uh, gentlemen, enjoy the uh, night game in the swamp. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Adam, man. It was so good to get back with you guys. Thanks for having me. See ya. There are a lot of newcomers on the defensive side of the ball, but one name that should be quite familiar to Gator Nation is Zach Carter. While he's been in the program for five years, he made a real impression in 2020, his first season as a starter that saw him frequently causing headaches for opposing quarterbacks. After briefly testing the draft waters, he made the decision to come back for one more ride on New Year's Eve. As one of the leaders of the defense, he's tasked with elevating a unit that struggled to get stops for much of 2020, undoubtedly one of the primary storylines entering this year. So we began our conversation with Zach by finding out how this year's camp differed from last year and why that key change could unlock their potential. I would say coming together as a team was one of the biggest strides because last year it was pretty tough for us dealing with COVID and we weren't able to be around each other that much. And in camp, you could kind of see like the team chemistry, you know, we starting to come together better and things are just clicking better. And I say on the defensive side, you know, we, we know we struggled last year on the defensive side of the ball. So we made sure we were sharp on communicating and, just coming together as a defense and the offense look good as well. It's funny you say you guys got to come together more because I was going to ask you what this year was like relative to last year. Um, still not completely normal, I know, but in what ways was it different because of where we are in COVID relative to last year? Big difference. Last year, we weren't able to have a spring. That really hurt us. Mm-hmm. Just running calls, communicating, getting lined up. So we had pretty much had to bunch everything up in the fall camp last year. So just being able to have a spring this year, being able to be around the guys the whole year, really building that team chemistry, and it really shows. Like, guys are closer. This is probably the closest team I've been on since I've been here. Guys are gelling together better. So I think that was really the biggest difference. Why do you think guys are gelling together better? Is it just – different personalities that happen to work better? Is it something that that you guys are doing internally to create more of that camaraderie? What, what would you attribute that to? I say we we try to bring the team together closer, like as players, hanging out with each other, trying to plan things, do things together, different things like that, um, group chats, position group, group chat, team group chat, like just things like that. I want to come back to uh, to the, the field here in a few minutes, but I, I want to step back a bit if we can. Uh, talk about you and, and sort of growing up and, and where you came from to give Gator Nation some background. So uh, for starters, can you tell us about your family, where you grew up, and, and some of those early years? I'm from Tampa, Florida. I went to Hillsborough High School. I'm a proud Big Red alumni. I grew up with two great parents. Um, my dad's an engineer. My mom, she's a project manager. Uh, he worked, my dad works for Lockheed Martin. Anyone knows what Lockheed Martin is. So, you know, I came from a good family, great background. I was fortunate and blessed to have both parents because along this journey, I let a, I met a lot of guys that 
weren't fortunate to have, you know, a dad or to both parents in general in the house. And I have an older brother who's about four years older than me. He played offensive line at Jackson State University. So, you know, I come from a I come from a, a good background. How do you think that's made your journey different from some of the other guys you referenced who maybe didn't have that type of foundation? I think it makes a big difference, especially having a male, like a father figure in your life. He was able to lead me and guide me along my journey and teach me things, you know, that others might not have been taught. And, you know, the biggest thing that my parents always instilled in me was being humble and working hard. And I've been sticking to that since I've gotten on campus. Going back to when you started playing, how did you get into football? Was it, I mean, you mentioned your older brother. Did your brother do it first and then you followed suit? Like, how did you get into the game? I mean, I've been playing football since I was eight years old. I fell in love with the game. I played linebacker. I was number 12 playing linebacker in Little League. And I used to shoot the gaps, go make plays and stuff like that. But after I really grew up playing football, basketball, and baseball. So I played football for a couple years. And then I was like, Dad, I want to go play AAU basketball. So I just gave up football for like three years. And pretty much I didn't play football the whole middle school until about eighth grade. And I wasn't even planning on playing football in high school. Like I was kind of just expected to do it, I guess, because my older brother, you know, he was already a senior there. and He was playing football. So, you know, I was like, you're Frank's little brother. So obviously I was convinced to play football and at first, you know, I was playing offensive line as a freshman. So I wasn't thinking about, oh, I'm going to be a defensive lineman in the SEC one day. Like, you know, it's kind of crazy. It just happened, man. I just, I dedicated myself to the game and it just paid off for me. It seems that when guys play other sports growing up, that they, they sort of become part of their game, even if they don't do it intentionally. What parts of, of baseball and basketball do you feel like you took that made you a better football player? Definitely basketball, those feet, you know, having to play defense and, you know, just even um, dribbling the ball, it, it kind of relates to defensive line more than you think. You know, those crossovers, like things like that, that's like pass rush. It kind of relates a little bit. And baseball, you know, just hand-eye coordination, you know, hand placement, scooping balls up, things like that. It just all, it all paid off for me. Hmm. Uh, You mentioned earlier, you know, always wanting to be a Gator. So when the recruitment process started up, what do you remember about that? Was it instantly all of the offers you wanted came rolling in? Did you have to wait for it? What do you remember about that time? I remember I was a freshman, a sophomore in high school. I'm like, man. I haven't gotten any offers yet. I see other guys in, you know, in Tampa getting offers. I'm like, I gotta get an offer by now. Like, where, what's going on? Like right. things like, like guys are getting USF and stuff. Like early in their career, like USF has even offered me. So, you know, I just kind of kept working, kept working, and by my sophomore year, that spring, that's when I started to blow up. And when I went on my first bus tour with Unsigned Preps, shout out to Unsigned Preps, Coach Ricky, them. Went on my first bus tour, got like 10 offers. My first my first offer was the, the day after I went to my first rivals camp in New Jersey. I got offered by Kentucky. Hmm. And I was like, okay, I got an SEC offer. That's right. They about to start coming in. And then it just took off from there. Hmm. When your offer came in from the Gators, was it just, I mean, where do I sign? Or did you did you play it out a little bit? Did you, you know, take some more visits? Yeah. I played, I played it out a little bit. I visited a lot of schools. I visited uh, Tennessee, Clemson, Alabama. I went to I went to a good amount of schools. Um, Clemson was, that was my second choice. But, you know, when it came down to it, like I, I committed, a lot of people don't know, I committed to the Gators. The day, the day after a Clemson visit, like my visit from Clemson. Wow. So when I went to Clemson, it was kind of confirmation, like, yeah, I'm a Gator. Besides just the desire to be a Gator, what was it that you saw in the program 
during the recruitment that confirmed for you that that was where you wanted to be? Oh, the guys, you know, when I came in, the guys accepted me, like, right in. Like, it was guys like Jordan Smith, who he went to UABs in the league now, and, like, guys like Ja'Kai, Polite. Um, I was around a lot of the D linemen, C.C. Jefferson. I just felt like it was home for me. And, you know, Coach Rump, Coach Rump is my guy, you know. Um, he left my freshman year, you know, and I know this is a business, and – you know, you can't really sign to a coach. You have to really like the school you're going to. But, you know, I love Coach Rump as well. So I was like, I feel like this is the place for me. And I grew up a Gator fan. You know, that arrow, that arrow with Tebow, mm-hmm. Harlan, you can name them a lot of players. I just, I love Gator football. So you mentioned some of the names, uh, the guys that were there when you came in. Who do you remember in particular that had the biggest impact on you? Did someone really take you under their wing and, and mentor you? Yeah. Uh, first, uh, Ja'Kai Polite, you know, Jorah Smith. Those became like my big bros. And I tried, you know, I, I watched how they played the game and things like that. And they taught me some things. So when you look at where you are now and you've become one of the older guys, who have you passed that on to? Which of the younger players have you taken under your wing and said, hey, let me show you the ropes. Here's what it takes to play at this level. I mean, we got some young guys that came in right now. To name a few, um, Princely from Texas. I'm my boy. I'm taking him under my wing. You know, I'm trying to show him the right things to do on and off the field, as well as Javon and some that my, you know, me and Justice Boone, you know, that's my boy. That's my little bro. We got close, you know. So I'm just trying to – I mean, I named a few, but really I try to I try to help everybody I can, you know, because I decided to come back for my last year. So I might as well try to leave a legacy and leave something for these guys while I can. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because you obviously had the opportunity to enter the draft early and uh, you were one of the players that everybody was waiting to see what you would choose to do. And then on New Year's Eve, you announced that you were going to be coming back. So I'm just curious, what went into that decision? How close was it to going the other way? Take us inside that, if you can. It really wasn't as hard as a decision as people might think it was. I just felt like I had unfinished business. You know, that last year was my first year. That was my first year starting and opportunity for my name to start getting out there. So I just... You know, when you decide to come back, it's kind of like betting on yourself. Like, I was like, I'm not satisfied with, you know, where I might go in this year's draft. I'm confident in my abilities, you know, so I want to shoot for the stars. I'm trying to I'm trying to come back and go first round as high as I can, if I can, you know. Mm-hmm. That's personal goals. And, you know, I, I also wanted to win an SEC championship. You know, we six points away. We're that close, so. I was like, man, if I come back, you know, and I talked to Coach Grantham, you know, he told me he thought I should come back and that if I did, you know, I could possibly be a first-round pick, things like that. So I was like, okay, I'm going to really dedicate myself this offseason, and it's paid off so far. When you watch guys at the next level, which ones do you say – I see that's going to be me in, in three years, and four years. Which players have you really modeled your game after at the next level? I mean, it's hard to model your game after guys like, you know, Aaron Donald and J.J. Watt. Uh, I can name them. I can name a bunch. DeForest Buckner. It's a lot of guys, mm-hmm. man. But I honestly take a, I take a lot from everybody. I'm like a sponge. I try to soak up as much as I can. I'm always learning different thing, you know, so I really, honestly, I don't know who I play like, honestly, so it's hard for me to watch a certain guy because I feel like I'm spe- I'm kind of special. It's not many guys, 290 pounds, that can rush on the edge, rush inside, things like that, so it's kind of hard to see who to watch sometimes, but, you know, I watch, I watch guys, you know, I look up the guys in the NFL. Yeah, you mentioned earlier recognizing that last year was not the kind of year that you wanted for you or for the defense in general. Um, what were some of the things that you were able to identify when you guys were able to look back at the tape and kind of take a deeper dive into the season? What did you see in film that maybe led to some of those challenges? 
not lining up quick enough, little thing. You know, communication, not getting signals, not lining up quick enough. Teams are tempo on us. We're still standing up while they're slapping the ball, just little things, you know. I feel like we corrected those things this offseason. How important was spring ball to making those fixes? What was the importance of having that to try and get that thing turned around? Very important. Uh, you know, that was just an opportunity for us to fix up those little things and they really try to hone in on the little details. And Coach Grantham did, Coach Grantham did a great job of emphasizing it, but, you know, within a defense, within a defensive unit, we held each other accountable. So I think that's another big thing, you know, holding each other accountable as a defense. Off the field, you seem like a pretty chill guy. I'm, I'm curious, what do you like to do when you aren't focusing on football? <laughs> Honestly, uh, I, I do a lot. Um, I'm in the music, you know. I'm really a social guy, so I like to hang out with friends. Uh, some of my hobbies, I like to, I like some guy, I like to read <laughs> and write, <laughs> things like that. But, um, you know, I really just like to hang out with friends, have a good time. You know, I spend a lot of time with my girlfriend because I try to stay out of the way, you know, stay focused, so things like that. You mentioned music being important to you. So next week, you're going to be playing at Raymond James Stadium, which is where the Super Bowl was. Uh, and the halftime show was the weekend, right? So I'm curious if you could if you could uh, you could set up the halftime show at Raymond James next weekend. Who would star in your halftime show? Oh, I'm lining up Rod Wave, man. I don't know, you know Rod Wave. That's one of my favorite artists right now. I you don't, know? I don't. He's pretty good, man. Just him? Like, are, you, are you doing like? A, are we doing a medley, or does he get the whole block by himself? Uh, no, nah, he get the whole block, man. <laughs> his album number his album number one in the world right now. Is it really? Yeah, he's he's pretty good. I gotta check this out. Um, so being a Tampa guy, I know we're this is next week, but just in general, how cool is it thinking about your senior year getting to play at home in Tampa when you go there next weekend? Oh man, homecoming! It's a great feeling. I haven't been in Tampa in a long time, so it's gonna be very exciting to go home and you know get the show out in front of my home crowd. I know I'm going to have a lot of people there supporting me, so I'm just excited. couple final things for you. Um, in terms of this year's defense, what are your expectations? You know, when you think about internally what you think that this defense is capable of, what does that look like to you? I'm expecting to lead the SEC in every category. You know, we pretty much lead the SEC in sacks every year, but I want to lead the SEC in, in interceptions, you know, as well as turnovers, things like that, that'll help us take the defense to the next level. On the other side of the ball, obviously a lot of really incredible talent was lost on the offensive side. Um, you have a chance to go up against those guys every day in practice. Who are some names that fans should look out for on offense that you think are going to be showing out very, very soon? Oh, man, we got a lot of weapons on offense. Uh, Malik Davis, Damian Pierce, Naquan Wright, Copeland. Henderson, you know, Gamble. Uh, I'm excited to see a lot of these guys. Another one uh, to watch out for, Justin Shorter. You know, I think they're going to have great years this year. And, you know, I'm excited to see what Emory and Anthony could do because, you know, we haven't really had guys that as athletic as them at the position back there in a long time. So I think that's going to add a crazy dynamic to the offense. And I think it's going to be good. Assuming you have the all-SEC year that you've been predicted to have, who are some of the other names around you that you think are going to be big? Who are fans going to be talking about maybe next week or the week after on defense that maybe they didn't know about today? Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure people know about these guys, but I don't think they get enough hype as they deserve. Guys like Brenton Cox, Trey Dean, and Trey Miller, Mahmoud Diabate, you know, just to name a few. Um, Jeremiah Moon, he's been hurt, but he's a baller, man. Daquan Newkirk, we got some guys on the D-line that that can play as well. Daquan Newkirk and Antonio Shelton. Um, telling you to keep an eye out for those guys. I also say the sleeper. I say the sleeper this year to watch out for Antoine Powell. 
outside linebacker. He's an animal. Final question for you, Zach. When you go out in the swamp, it's going to be the first time the swamp has had, you know, a full house in a couple of years. Um, what does it mean to you and to the guys to be able to play in the swamp the way it is meant to be, as opposed to what you had to, to go through last year? It's going to be crazy to run out. You know, I, I'm telling the younger guys that I was like, last year, y'all didn't see anything. It's going to be crazy this year. I'd say, y'all never played in front of 90,000. I say, you're going to be nervous at first, but, you know, it's, amazing. it's an amazing feeling. And I can't wait. I can't wait to see Gator Nation out there this year. Well, Zach, we're so glad that you came back for another year. We look forward to seeing what you and the defense do. And, and thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Stay up to date on everything going on with the orange and blue at FloridaGators.com, and we'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Please stay safe and go Gators.